0: the question a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia we sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are from pannoni honors college drexel university dr melinda lewis here i'm your host I am here with Nancy Burrell, author of I'm Not Holding Your Coat, My Bruises, an All," memoir of punk rock rebellion, which is all the things. It's about punk rock. It's about a coming of age, joy, finding your rage and harnessing it. And I'm very excited to talk to her about the book, the scene and all of those things. Hi, Nancy. Hi,
1: thanks for having
0: me. Nancy, are you ready to stage dive into this?
1: I'm ready to stage dive right into this. I was
0: concerned because I remembered you got a concussion that way, right?
1: Uh, Stage diving. Yeah, but it was still fun.
0: What a wonderful like framework and model to like do what you want to (laughs) do. Live your life. think this is a really great oral history of Philadelphia during the time that you're living, and I was hoping that you could talk about what it was like to be in the city, which has just changed so drastically since what you've described.
1: Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I was, my my students and I were watching The Warriors in my film class today, and I was telling them, you know, how the movie was a reaction to what was going on in New York at the time. Warriors come out to Warriors, come out to play. and I started to tell them about Philadelphia and I said nostalgia makes you look at things with rose-colored glasses but Philly was such a dangerous place at that time and I loved it <laughs> and I was talking to my students about the creativity that came out of all that blight and all that poverty and crime and destruction and everything was just booming, you know, in the clubs, in fashion, in art, in music. What do you We don't want to Just everywhere you went, music was blaring out of record stores. And it was just such an exciting time to really be alive and a great time to be alive musically. I know I'm romanticizing it. Of course I am, you know. I don't know if that's still happening right now, you know. I think that maybe it is from, you know, I read The New Yorker and the New Yorker tells me that there's <laughs> you know, like Rage Against the Machine's a new band to me, you know. So I don't really I don't listen to a lot of new music, you know. I'm still kind of stuck in the 70s and eighties. I'm still listening to the bad brains at my earth, right? <laughs> come on, come on! wanted to bring up the fact that we have just passed the 40th anniversary of Punk Fest One. Yes, by far one of the happiest days of my life.
0: I, I don't know if it feels like this at the time, but at least reading the book, that this is like a turning point for you in terms of let's just put together our own thing.
1: We really had no idea what we were doing. There were some people that had done a show there with Bauhaus and Pylon a few months before that. We decided that that's what we wanted to do. But, you know, there was no blueprint for do-it-yourself projects back then. So it was all kind of just figuring it out as we went. And so the day we looked outside and we just saw people lined up for blocks, like it was the best feeling. (laughs) But it was exciting and it was absolutely thrilling, you know, to, to do something like that at that age and, you know, have it come off okay. So.
0: Well, and not only come off okay, but be like a
1: really great example of what you could do yourself. It was an incredibly empowering experience and, and I felt an enormous sense of accomplishment. And I feel like that's the the sensibility
0: that comes through in this book of just, the liberatory aspect of punk in particular, but also music in general, like music is the thing that continually pushes
1: you despite being a warrior. I'll tell you, this was the time in my life when I was most present for everything. And I knew when I was experiencing it, that it was something special from seeing David Bowie and a Alice Cooper Iggy Pop, to doing Punk Fest. And so I have never lived in the moment like I did during those years. And especially if the band was on stage, I was just living it and it just felt amazing. How did you carry that momentum from
0: Punk Fest 1 into your future booking? Like, was it an instant, I want to do this again and I have to do this Yeah, we
1: wanted to do it immediately. We wanted to ride on that wave to the next show. We had shows in between at, you know, different places, CBGB's.
0: How would you describe Philadelphia's scene at
1: the time? Philly scene with the bands from Philly was great because you could go to the hot club or the East Side club or Omni's and you know, if a local band was playing, you wanted to see them. They were usually pretty good. And make sure you come down to the show
0: tonight. This last song that Lee's going to play for us is Rejection off our tape. Come down to twelve twenty-nine Chestnut Street, East Side Club. You, Sadistic exploits. Our sets are at set twelve o'clock
1: 12 and 12 two o'clock.
0: Be there, and we have to wish our manager a happy birthday. It was last Friday. Happy she became birthday, twenty-two. Nancy. Nancy, happy birthday.
1: I don't think that Philly ever gets its due for the bands that came out of that city, mainly because there's not a lot on record, and the bands didn't tour like some of the other bands did. So that scene was really vital and happening all the time. And then Philly, of course, was a stopover for every big band that came. You know, they always played Philadelphia, too. You know, Black Flag and the Dead Kennedys and whoever else was in town, they were all playing. So there was always something going on every single night. There was something to do. And then you take a club like the Love Club where they had poetry reading and art and punk rock and and experimental rock and art rock. You could see executive slacks one day and you could see TSOL another day. Like it was a lot of cross-pollination between groups and it was fun, it was really, really fun. Tonight we have a special treat. The loud, hard, fast East Coast punks, The Excuses. Everyone knows
0: I can't come. Everyone knows i
1: grow. not done. Everyone knows not done. Everyone knows it's so fun. Everyone knows. What were the Everyone bands knows. that for you epitomized punk? I remember seeing the Bad Brains for the first time at the Elks and my friends in autistic behavior said to me when you see the Bad Brains your life is going to change and I was like oh right you know and I just was pulled up to the front of the stage like a magnet and there's a picture of me in the book where you can just see me look like you, the look on my face is pure (laughs) awe. And you can just see me looking up at Darryl. I can remember exactly how I felt seeing them Mm. at that time and just my heart practically like, you know, coming out of my chest because it was just such an experience. They were such an incredible live band. I went and saw that band play everywhere, New York, New Jersey, Baltimore, wherever they were playing, I would go and see them. They were so phenomenal live in that heyday of 81 and 82. You just you've never seen anything like it. Minor Threat was probably my second favorite band to see after that. Black Flag was amazing. And then SSD Control. Those are probably my top four. I love CNTSOL. Um, at the time, my taste definitely started to go more towards in 81, 82, to go more from like punk into hardcore. I like that physicality of hardcore. I really liked mm. the anger and the craziness of it all. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know, something about that appealed to me.
0: To say there's a really great picture of you I think at an SSD show where you're just beaming yeah. the
1: pure joy of you being at that show like radiate yeah I and mean, that's how I felt when I you know I used to go right up front and I would just get so excited you know when those first notes would hit and it was just you know it was like a physical transformative thing I don't think anything has ever come close to that in my life. And it was really special to me and really important to me at the time. And I was really lucky. There were a lot of bands playing. And I had the energy to go to New York on a Tuesday night to see the Bad Brains play. You know? And then, you know, make it home and get dropped off in front of my job and put my pantyhose on in the <laughs> elevator and go to work. You know, so. It was, um, it was such a fun time. I'm
0: Before you really discovered punk, during punk, now, how have you defined it? over the years and how has it changed?
1: Yeah, so my definition of punk is that I don't attempt to define That's great. And I I, I really don't. And um, I will see sometimes in different Facebook groups, like this isn't punk. Well, the least punk thing you can do is try to say what punk is. So I don't make myself the arbiter of what is punk and what isn't. Um, Back in the day when the music started blooming, Tom Petty was punk rock. Mm. Devo was punk rock, and the Pretenders were punk rock, and Patti Smith was punk rock, and the Runaways were punk rock, and they're all very different bands. And then what's post punk? And then there's hardcore, and then there's gutter punk, and (laughs) it's just like a million different kinds. I just say like, if you like it and you call it punk, then it's punk. It's your mom. I have a question about that podcast you do. Are you on the Instagram or the Twitter or the Facebook? You know, like, if I have an idea for a podcast, how do I get in touch with you? Love you. Bye.
0: Sup, Mom? Uh, yeah. So you can find us on all those things, actually. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just go to Pod on any one of those and follow. If you want to send us ideas, you can either go over to our website and leave us a message at pop Q Podcast, or you can get us directly at popq at drexel.edu. You can actually find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, I can help set it up when I get home, but then you have to promise me to rate and review. All right. Love you. Bye.
1: <laughs> You
0: reference this early on in the book when you talk about your students coming up to you and being like, hey, I saw a picture of you as a punk. How did they conceptualize you as both like a teacher, but also somebody who is like not just plugged in at night
1: waiting to teach them the next morning? Yeah, most of my kids don't know anything about punk rock, but they like the social activism piece. Mm -hmm. You know, they like the fact that I protested the KKK. They like my stories about the danger, you know, having bombs thrown at you and police sick dogs. Yeah, like some, some small adventures. Yeah, they like, you know, tell us a story in the spiral you know and so I'm always up for a story you know and I like to tell them things that can help them navigate life a little easier too you know so I you know I always tell them if you want to do something you have to make it happen and and so we wanted we wanted to see the bands we love so we made it happen and they get that I really love it when my kids stand up for what they believe in I've seen my students you know, just do amazing things. So they like it. And the kids are like really excited that I wrote a book. They're like, you wrote a book, Ms. (laughs) Burr? They look it up in Amazon. (laughs) You know, they think it's really, really cool.
0: Well, in fairness, it is really, really cool that you wrote a book. Is there the potential
1: for like a follow-up? So I did a photo essay book with my husband, Al, who was in SSD control. (laughs) And Phil and Flash, who is a photographer, where we tell some stories about the years after with SSD Control. And I wrote a teacher book, but the more I think about it, the less I think I'm going to publish it. It's about my students and I feel like their stories are their stories and who gets to tell your story. And so I think this might be it. You know, I contributed to some books. I contributed a story to a book that's coming out. It's about clubs and venues that were important to you when you were growing up and the Elks was hugely important to me. What are your plans in the near future for the band?
0: Yeah, we're playing the Elks Center.
1: It will be featuring autistic Behavior, bad brains from New York, the Excuses, uh, informed sources and seeds of terror, a New Jersey band. It'd be like five bucks to get in all ages. There'll be no hassles.
0: I would love to know any books that you had read that maybe like influenced how you approached this
1: particular memoir. When I read Patty Smith's just kids, I was I absolutely it. blown away by it. And I probably read it about four years before I wrote my book and I knew that I wanted to reach my audience the same way she did. Uh, you know, I wanted to have that same effect, but I was afraid that I uh, that my emulation would be imitation, and so <laughs> I had to put it aside a little bit. Um, I love David Sedaris. You know, I love the way he writes and his sense of humor. <laughs> I legit could probably go on all day about. My But I would have to say If I really had to narrow it down to one Mm -hmm. You know, it probably would be Just Kids Because that book was just so good And her writing style was so powerful Like there are very
0: few books that I've read That I've had to literally put down So that I could cry Yeah, Uh, And that is definitely one of those books That just spilled
1: to that, that breaking point Yeah Here I go and I don't know why it be he's taken me?
0: Part of the book that I just really, really loved was the, the real centerpiece of joy of just like how much you clearly love music and love punk and love hardcore. And I would like to talk more about like when you realize that you could do that. How did you put those pieces together?
1: So I won a couple of awards for teaching. And, you know, they always ask you, you know, well, what makes you a good teacher? And you usually just give them like, you know, some trite answer. But when I really thought about it, I realized it was punk rock that made me a good teacher, because it enabled me to connect with marginalized and alienated teens. you know, mainly because I was one and so were my friends. It enabled me to create assignments for my students to help make them independent thinkers and learners and check and evaluate sources and to question authority. And then what really helps is that whole do it yourself work ethic helps me get a lot of resources for my classroom, you know, books and guest speakers and field trips and things like that, that um, are so important in a school like mine where we don't have a lot of money. And so, you know, I just found the entire scene very empowering, especially for me as a woman. My first education about politics came from punk rock. I knew nothing when I graduated from Catholic school, zero about government or politics. And it it gave me a very rich education on a lot of different things. So... I use so much of punk rock and it gets me in trouble sometimes, (laughs) you know, even at my age, I still question authority and I will still speak up if I think that someone's attempting to harm my student or there's a policy in place that I don't think my students will benefit from. I will still say something and, you know, it's not always welcomed. (laughs) It's not going to stop me. So thanks so
0: much, though, for, for sitting down and talking with us about your book. I really did just gobble it up. Thank you so much for having me. I do really appreciate it. Pop! The Question was researched and hosted by Dr. Melinda Lewis. Our theme music and episodes are produced by Brian Cantorek, with additional audio production by Noah Levine. All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy-Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paula Morantz-Cohen, and the Panoni Honors College at Drexel University.
1: I honestly do. But we talking about practice, man. What are we talking about?